0: This week's show is sponsored by Raygun. Raygun is everything developers need for crash reporting to detect and diagnose software errors in their applications. Crash reporting can be added in under a minute to any application for iOS, Android, Xamarin, Web, JavaScript, you name it, they support it. It'll automatically pick up uncaught exceptions, and there's a cross-platform API to track your own and even add user data. It's amazing. I love it. They have tons of integrations into Slack, GitHub, Zendesk. Their motto is all about spending more time building great software and less time fighting it head over to raygun.com slash merge conflict for a full 30-day trial. Thanks again to Raygun.
1: In lieu of 2017 resolutions, which I think are a little kind of crazy to do, I thought, well, I didn't even think. I just saw a bunch of blog posts going around the internets, and they were, what should a .NET developer know in 2017? And this is kind of intriguing, because it's not what should a .NET developer know, but what's changed? What are things that we should look back upon, or new things to look at? So I thought it'd be fun if James and I picked out a few of these and talked about them. Yeah, I'm really
0: excited about it. Yeah, totally. That sounds great. I mean, I Scott Hanselman wrote a post about like what .NET developers ought to know. And then I copied him and I said, what Xamarin developers <laughs> ought to know. I see. And they're kind of in the same camp, right? And I just kind of looked at, I talk to developers so often and it's so easy to overlook some of the more advanced topics, but also some of the intro topics, but some of this is new exciting things that we're doing. So I think this is this is great. I, I love that you picked this out. So uh, I'm yeah, excited.
1: And, and the truth is, like there are neat announcements all the time. Honestly, if if you pay attention to any of the accounts on Twitter or something, it seems like something's being announced every few weeks. Something worthwhile or something that would interest you. So it's nice to have a little reflection on the past a little bit. So looking back at 2016, at what's changed, with just a little bit of perspective going forward. Of well, these are the things that we should actually pay attention to. Yeah.
0: You just wanna, do you just want to? Do you want to kick it off, Frank?
1: Ooh, kick it off. Uh, Should we announce the topics or go one by one? Keep people in suspense. I
0: think that, yeah, let's let's go one by one, I think. It'll be kind of like a lightning (laughs) talk-esque, but not really, I think. We'll get sidetracked, you know us.
1: Let let me, let me shoot for the stars here. So the one that I wanted to bring up was the new ways that you can build user interfaces for our apps. Now, I'm on record. I've given presentations saying that we've kind of slid backwards in the UI design world where we used to have things like Visual Basic that made designing UIs very easy. Drag and drop. Things go where they go. For the most part, it all works. Nowadays, building UIs is a much more complicated affair. You got to support lots of resolutions. Uh, there's so many different ways to create UI, so many different libraries that I thought I wanted to point out new stuff.
0: Yeah, I like that. I think that there's what's interesting about what happened kind of at the end of 2016 going into this year, 2017, is this kind of interactive building and learning, I would say, because you know we've had tools such as like Sketch and things like Zeppelin, which kind of give you this way of laying out controls and exporting things, but not necessarily... Interacting with an application, I would say, or building out UIs and modifying them, seeing them live. Like I like to see things live and things happening. Um, yeah,
1: the difference is uh, those are drawing programs. So mm-hmm. when you're doing a user interface, especially nowadays, interfaces are interactive. You know, they change with, with how the person's touching on it. And having static screenshots, I love doing stuff in Sketch also. It's great for doing a quick prototype or something like that or just getting a feel for a screen. But in the end, they're just static views. And that's even going back to the Visual Basic days that you're looking at this uh, freeze-dried view of your UI. It's not interactive, but it's good for designing. But I think nowadays...
0: Just like the Xamarin Forms Previewer is a previewer, it's not necessarily like I had to do a whole blog post on how to (laughs) visualize the data live. Because if you just have a button, it's a button. But I need it to like show what I want it to show in this list to have data in it, you know. So, yeah, we want
1: the app running a little bit, if if not Mm -hmm. like running full logic, but at least getting some data in so that we can do that design. So on that front, we have some new products out there. Uh, I think one of the coolest ones is from Xamarin. And that's. Well, it's two products, but they're kind of the same in my head. There's the inspector, which allows you to dig into the view hierarchy and run some uh, commands. And then there's the workbooks tool, which lets you, through code, build up user interfaces and have them be fully interactive while you're typing the code.
0: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about the inspector is that people don't actually realize its full capabilities, so if you saw me demo it at Connect or saw on, on any of my videos or things like that, it I'm essentially inside of, you know, one of the IDEs, I'm debugging an application. I hit this little target thing and it it kind of brings up this live REPL where I can see a 3D view of all my user interface.
1: Yeah. But I I love that part. I love that part. Yeah. This is a debugging tool to break up your UI and to see the layers that actually comprise the UI. It's very useful.
0: Yeah, and, and people ask usually, is like, oh, why is it so important to see this? I was like, yeah, well, often I have some <laughs> random UI element like way off screen that's like animating and I'm like, whoops, I forgot to turn that off or something random, you know? S-
1: someone who asked that question is just starting out in <laughs> UI programming.
0: <laughs> yeah, and what's cool about this is if you're doing like a, a large application or a game or something involved, or not even that, it doesn't have to be that involved, but if you architect your application in a way where you can expose and debug mode your variables, let's say your view model mm-hmm. or your code behind in a way, or even your user interface. The REPL, which is the redeveloped print loop, you have access to your view, your full view controller, your full user interface. So if you create like static methods or just um, static properties, you can modify those in real time and your application will modify in real time. So if you're changing and you want to see the size, like, oh, should this be 100, 500 or the size or the speed? Or if you're making a game, like how fast should the bullets move? You can just modify that value while the application is running and it just recompiles it. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It just injects the value into there. Uh, I use it for color picking mostly because mm. I'm, I'm always curious how different colors look on each other, like a text onto a background color or trying to figure out how to get a gradient to draw on iOS, uh, workbooks is, it's just great for exploring an API, even if you're not building a user interface, but definitely something where you're just iterating. Like you're just changing the color by, you know, half a degree in one direction or another. It's so useful
0: yeah that's yeah it's it's pretty cool and uh i think that the 3d exploded view like looks really cool there's a xamarin forms view which is cool and i think like if you're looking to i kind of start developing my applications this way in a uh, design first mentality because you can be kind of very like test driven but mm-hmm. Often with mobile applications, we spend so much time debugging our application, changing a value, redeploying, changing a value, redeploying. If you start thinking about the design view, the design mode, if you will, this was kind of popular with um, um, older applications like Blend, where you'd have this design view model, like kind of like I was talking about with the forms previewer. But think of your entire application, the entire logic of your application being modifiable at design time and kind of debug yeah. time. It can really, it can really. Um, have some really cool results
1: yeah that problem uh i'm I'm gonna call out one problem Uh, i i love the inspector because you can change values the problem is the moment you close the app all those values vanish away so what i would like to see is a two-way mechanism so as i'm changing values in the inspector uh they get pushed back into my code, which is a crazy, complicated, unsolvable, I'm sure, problem. <laughs> but still, it's something that I want. And it's why I built my own kind of version of this tool, uh, the Continuous app uh, IDE for the iPad. It allows you to edit code and preview that code as quickly as it possibly can while you're editing code, because I wanted that two-way flow. I wanted to actually modify code and see the changes at the same time.
0: Yeah, you kind of need something to bridge the gap, right? Because when you modify code in continuous, it's recompiling your app. So it's going to start a new session, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what you kind of need is that continuous brings it in where you're modifying the code and it reevaluates. But maybe you want it, you're in the middle of a game and you're trying to test out the boss level, you know what I mean? So yeah, these are hard break. problems.
1: Uh, Unity, mm-hmm. the uh, awesome game engine, uh, it has the same problem in that it has a design mode and then a play mode. And in the play mode, you can still kind of change some values in that. The problem is they don't get propagated back into your code or anything. Uh, so it, it's it's this kind of age old problem of editing code while it's running and, yeah. you know, what to do, what to do. I think I think if the
0: REPL would just kinda you could maybe output something, it could save something, and then you could bring those back in later, what might be okay. Um,
1: sounds like an awesome Roslyn pug plug-in someone should write.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now you you mentioned that the inspector is tied to workbooks. And have you used workbooks a lot or can you maybe explain what workbooks is? I, I think it's kind of. I, I cool. should
1: say that they're not really tied together. I'm sorry, they're tied together in my head. Um, but workbooks is An awesome idea of uh, let's just execute code as you type it into this thing called a workbook. But at the same time, you can augment that code with actual descriptions of what the code's doing in nice formatted uh, descriptive text. So you get paragraphing. You can insert, I think, even tables, things like that. do your heading formats. You can write a proper document describing something. Think about the readmes that we all add to our libraries. So, but that, but the code examples actually execute. So you have all this descriptive text and then real executing code. And I love that merger of documentation and executing code. It's just a yeah. much better way to distribute knowledge.
0: It's, it's pretty cool. And you can even learn, I'll, I'll link to the workbooks portal, but there's about a 100 of them written already for you to yeah. learn things like Erho Sharp and Skia Sharp and Tiny Render. And I've actually seen game engines like Wave Engine, for instance, yeah. actually just have a series of workbooks. And like, here's how you use and how's how you code. Like, that's cool because you can import your own DLLs or NuGet packages.
1: Yeah, I I really hope everyone takes a look at these and starts contributing also. I was actually worried when Xamarin said they were going to write a bunch of them. I thought, oh, God, there's going to be one workbook for like a button, one for a slider, one for it's going to get really annoying. But no, they actually have some really well thought out examples going from beginner to intermediate. And I'd even say advanced, like understanding some of those 3D engine ones. That's going to take a little bit of study.
0: Yeah, my favorite is the exploring Roslyn syntax tree. So you're actually <laughs> We got some over ones the, in
1: there. <laughs>
0: you know, you're rappling over the .NET compiler platform Roslyn itself. So it's kind of cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Great for exploring APIs. Great for building user interfaces. Great for exploring APIs.
0: Yeah. yeah, Which is pretty awesome. And I think what's interesting even about this is we talk about Roslyn. We talk about new, C, new versions of C Sharp. We talk about what's kind of next going on with .NET. Is that .NET I mean, for me, it's always been on a lot more operating systems than just Windows. Obviously, as a Xamarin developer and being in the Mono ecosystem for a while, but .NET .NET has gone full—I would say full on Linux, just like all in, just all cards on the table, like really serious <laughs> commitment to it. And it, I, I know you've been messing around with it or reading up on it a lot, so yeah, um,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about this just because I thought it was. Uh pretty great, honestly. Simple as that. Like, this is cool. Uh, We have had mono on Linux forever. (laughs) It started on Linux, so we have had a .NET platform on Linux, but now the neat thing is we have a Microsoft-released core CLR-based version of .NET that runs on Linux, and... It has some nasty setup instructions. I think we actually covered it in one of the episodes. You were complaining about all the steps you have to take to install it. But you go through these uh, five things, you know, put it into a script, install it. And we have full supported .NET on Linux. And it works really well. I've built a few little ASP.NET websites. I've done a few other little toy things. And I pretty much loved it.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I need to maybe spin up a Linode server or something like that. Exactly I don't know. Or,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I i actually built uh an Alexa skill. Sorry, hey Dinga skill <laughs> on it so that um at a So I could test out whether this whole Linux thing works Like I wasn't sure like how do I get their actual server running under here because I have an Apache based server So I have to set up a little reverse proxy going back to the .NET server I had to put SSL certificates on top of that So it's just a learning experience for me to set up kind of a actual real production version of this thing And I have to say it just went smoothly the Apache proxy miraculously worked and <laughs> .NET behaved itself Nice. That's good. I like that. I like when things work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much better, yeah. 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 And this was pretty much from all the default instructions out there. I didn't do anything. Oh, nice. I just followed what everyone else said to do.
0: That is uh that is much better than what I've been developing with recently, which is like I get an error code and then I go and Google it and then I spend two <laughs> yeah. days on it. You know, it's nice when you can just kind of read through documentation like oh this kind of makes this makes sense. I like this, you know.
1: Yeah, and and you actually hit, uh, you type .NET run, and it says, I'm listening on this port. And you're like, I don't believe you. You go to that (laughs) port, wow, it's actually working. Miracle. I like that. I like that. So I know you had another topic that you think is worthy of mentioning for 2017, and I keep laughing at you for it. So I'm going to let you introduce it.
0: Yes. So I think that, you know, it's not a new topic. It's not an old topic, but I think it's a topic that people don't fully understand. Uh, and I think that it's because it's it's advanced. It's complex. I mean, in the documentation, it is under advanced topics. Uh, and honestly, templates usually set this stuff up for you by default. Uh, so when you go into your project settings, you are just clicking on things and you probably don't care you're just trying to figure and deploy an application yep. and as a xamarin developer and this is more xamarin focused uh, but really coming to the world of like .net native and where .net is going is that you you don't want to ship your entire .net sdk or the entire .net <laughs> runtime into your application yep. it's very
1: large it is
0: mm-hmm. so there's this thing called the linker uh, which is the bane of my existence and the reason why I I love .NET on iOS and Android. Yeah. Um, it's great. Uh, it's not the smartest thing in the world, but it works fairly well out of the box.
1: So you're being elusive. Let me just describe for everyone what the linker does is it goes through all your code and figures out which parts of your code you actually use. This is important because you might import a giant library and not access parts of it. So it'd be nice if you didn't actually ship those parts of the library with your app. And that's the linker's job. And its job is not optional on iOS. It's kind of required because you have to register lots of types with the operating system and do lots of trickery. So it actually has to figure out which of your code is actually used because it's important.
0: Uh, I like to think of it as shaking a tree in in the fall. (laughs) Okay. And and, uh, (laughs) kind of... Explain yourself, sir. (laughs) so, So think of it like in the fall when the apple orchards and the apples are getting ready to fall... You know, you shake the ones that you're not, that are done, that you're not using, Ah, that that fall away.
1: I see. Okay. mm -hmm.
0: So the linker shakes away all the stuff that is dead, essentially, that isn't being used in your application. So it's, you know, trims everything down. But it's a static, it's a static tool. So it just a static analysis. And there's essentially three linker behaviors like don't link, which you never want that just for debug is all you want that for. There's link SDK, which goes through the Xamarin iOS SDKs and things like that. And then there's link all, which is the more complicated one. And each step of those reduces your application size because it's stripping more things away. But um, there's things as developers that we can do if we're building libraries, then also as application developers, we can incorporate because sometimes everything is fine. You're like, oh, this, is, everything is working great. And it's, of course it's not linking anything. But the problem is if sometimes people are using reflection or serialization mm-hmm. or doing some, usually reflection, and they're doing some crazy yeah. stuff or some weird web services, uh, essentially things can get removed accidentally.
1: Yeah. And it makes sense because uh, what might come up in the code is I read this database object from the database. And for reasons whatever i never mention a column name uh anywhere like i just don't need it in my application however that column name is important for my database access layer whatever because it needs to match up the tables and make everything happy and so that's a place where the linker did its job correctly because you don't actually use that column but you messed up a library that just assumes that everything's there
0: yeah exactly 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 And um, there's ways to essentially, if you run, like I always run my application, I can take it in debug and then say, you know, link SDK is usually what I do. And then link all can remove a little bit more, but uh, usually it's not too big, so I usually don't do it. But if you're really trying to get to the minimal, minimal size, like strip away another meg or another two megs from your application, then link all is there. But sometimes you need to link skip. So you can like skip, essentially skip over assemblies that are there. But as an application developer uh or a, sorry a, a library creator like myself i can actually add this thing called preserve onto the top and i can say this is a linker safe like you shouldn't you know you can do it on <laughs> class level or you can do it on assembly level you can say hey linker like you should be aware that uh you should not link away this code because it's super important because i'm doing reflection in here and something like that so don't remove it um which is good because you know as you go further down like this is Really stripping down the application even further. Uh, so if for some reason you get an exception, you're like, "Whoa, this missing method exception isn't there." Well, it's because it got removed, and that mm-hmm. could be a default constructor. That could be something else that is just getting removed because it's it, it's being removed. So you add this little um, preserve attribute to the top of your class or to a method, and then hey, it's all there. You know, it's all
1: good. Um, yeah. But properties, properties mm-hmm. is a good one also. Yeah, proper constructors, like you said, because things get constructed uh, through weird mechanisms sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I hardly ever use, like I might use a default constructor some other constructor, because exactly, if you have multiple constructors and you're passing things down, it just gets complicated. Just be aware that that's what it's doing and, and the documentation that's there. But we added something, they added something really cool. And maybe you can talk about this a little bit more, but it's, it's called the custom linker configuration. So by default, there's really simple settings like, little keywords that say link skip, you give it the assembly name, it's like cool. But sometimes when you really wanna get super fine granular, you can actually um, drive the entire linking process by an XML that describes how you want the linker to work.
1: Yeah. And it's this XML file, which basically just names types and methods and fields and properties, that kind of stuff. And you just name the ones that you want to keep. Or can you also name the ones you want to skip? Maybe. But I think it's a positive case. You just list the ones that you definitely know you need. And from that, we we get some special abilities. But first, I want to get, have you tried using this thing yet?
0: I have not. No, I want to, though, just for fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have this uh, problem with my IDE in that I have to ship my app with the linker turned off. Mm. And that is a terrible thing. Uh, I need it because I want to ship the full SDK. So that's that's a for real thing. I actually do want all the code shipped. So I have no loose apples. My tree is healthy and strong. Nothing's gonna (laughs) fall off. But the problem is there's a few other things tied to the linker, and that is, um, they do some like dead code removal, and these are things where it binds to the UI, and that layer is a little bit inefficient, but when the linker runs, it can make that transition a little bit uh, faster, thinner, smaller. Good yeah. things. But I miss out on that because I have to turn the linker off. So what I can do now is actually say, turn the linker on. And with this file, I can just say, actually, I do want to include everything, but still run the linker so that I get the performance benefits. So I'm actually really excited about this.
0: And this is nice because what happens if you you import a big NuGet library, right? Like json.net is actually really big. It's like half a meg, surprisingly. (laughs) You you could really find granularity control that to say, hey, you should also look at this json.net, newtonsoft.json, and then maybe only bring in these three, four, five things that I'm using and, yeah. and control it that way, which would be really Just nice. Just make
1: sure you test your code because m- most likely it'll work fine on the simulator and then you got to mm-hmm. put it on the device. But as long as you're running your unit tests on the device, like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> go
0: for it. I think, I think it's super important. It's one of like... I think it's one of the, I mean, it's obviously a really strong feature because you're not shipping a, a huge, huge .NET library in your application, mm-hmm. but it's also more complex just to even go through the what the three options are and understand those, like why did it break and why is my application crashing? Because I'll just tell people to change the setting and do this thing and they'll change it, but they may not necessarily know why I told them to change it. And that's kind of the most important part. So,
1: <laughs> so I feel like we're going to be doing 2018, next new things you should learn in the linker.
0: Yeah, probably, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> and, and, and that's fine because hopefully the the linker can, you know, learn and become smarter and smarter, but it can only become, static analysis can only become so smart. So it's really that fine granular control that you want.
1: Yeah. Yep. And it's great to have that valve. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you need a release valve. Yeah.
0: And I was just oh. listening to a, another podcast recently. I, I can't even remember the name maybe it's I don't think it's Marcos podcast I think it was it was someone else and they were they were kind of speculating on like uh, Swift and Objective-C and they were talking about um, kind of the next things about like server and web and so funny that you listed this on your your, (laughs) application because they're like wouldn't it be so nice if I could have one programming language Mm
1: -hmm. that I
0: could write for apps and for backends
1: one to rule them all yes one to rule them
0: all. (laughs) They were saying that they don't think JavaScript's the thing because they want native applications. And to me, I kind of think that C Sharp is obviously the language that's really universal. Like you talked about it on Linux, and then we've been able to run, you know, websites with ASP.NET for a long time. Uh, But uh, there's some other interesting things happening in the world of your favorite language um, (laughs) that I know is kind of one of the last ones that we wanted to talk about.
1: (laughs) Ah, oh, thank you for the setup. I want to run .NET code in the browser. Simple as that. I want mm-hmm. kind of Silverlight back, but not Silverlight because I was dumb. That was in a little box. That's annoying. I want it running in the browser with full access to the DOM and just acting like a proper app. It just happens to be stuck in the browser because... Yay, 2017! <laughs> so, I thought it would be fun to talk about the current state of the art in uh, taking your .NET code, C Sharp, and even F Sharp, probably VB 2 and getting it to run inside the browser.
0: Yeah, hit me. I'm excited. What, is is this related okay. to before you even start? Is this related <laughs> to this this WebAssembly thing?
1: Okay, so yeah, let's do that one first. And first, I got to say, I am completely unqualified to talk about (laughs) WebAssembly. The only thing I know about it is uh, Miguel de Ucaza's enthusiastic pitches for it. Okay. And what I know about WebAssembly, oh, I'm going to get this completely wrong. Should I even try? Um,. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Everyone, write to me and tell me how wrong I am. Okay. But uh, somehow we have a virtual machine running inside of the browser, and it's maybe sandboxed. Maybe it's not sandboxed. I really don't know. And so you can execute basically arbitrary stuff, which means you can execute .NET code. So I think it's a way to just get um, arbitrary code execution via a sandboxed VM inside of the browser.
0: That sounds sounds about right. Right now it says... I'm looking at the Wikipedia article, so (laughs) it says WebAssembly or WASM is an experimental efficiency low-level programming language for the in-browser client-side scripting. It's currently in development. Its initial aim is to support compilation from C and C++, though other source languages such as Rust are also supported. So maybe one could assume that you would also have C Sharp. Or F-sharp or yeah, something Yeah, and
1: it actually sounds familiar, to Back in the day, we had ASM.js, which was a mm. uh, sub, uh, subset of JavaScript that was to be taken. It looks like JavaScript code, but it can be highly optimized in compilation. And in that way, you could emit some low-level code and hopefully get some speed out of it. So maybe this is a step in between what I described in ASM.js. But... I don't really want to talk about either of those. <laughs> okay. So it's not, it's not WebAssembly. It's not. <laughs> no, no. Uh, which will be cool. But what I want is something that just generates JavaScript code. Because okay. um, I do love JavaScript code. And I don't know what I mean by that other than I've been writing it for years. So how can you not love it? Uh, but I don't want to write whole complicated apps in it. I, uh, I'd rather use one of my other languages. And so... I'd like to take my C-sharp code, generate JavaScript from that. I'd like to take my F-sharp code and generate JavaScript from that. And in 2017, we have some pretty good options. The first is the Fable compiler for F-sharp is out and about, and it's awesome. This is a vert... I I don't even... I don't know technically how they did it, but they got the uh, F-sharp compiler to start outputting uh, Babylon JS, which is just this other intermediary format of JavaScript. And from that it generates JavaScript. So you can oh, take cool. your F sharp code, run it through their compiler and out dumps JavaScript code, which is super awesome.
0: I like that. I like that. That's yeah. kind of cool. And, and essentially then you just write the F sharp just, or, you mm-hmm. know, if you All your I business sharp.
1: logic, the same way we always share code between our apps, you you break out the UI from the from the logic.
0: Yeah. And then it just is here's some and then and then your your front end would essentially call into that into those somehow.
1: Yeah, and, you, and you're pretty free. You could, um, you could just keep the business logic layer as JavaScript. It gets compiled into, you know, not ugly JavaScript, something that you can actually work with and interface with. And then you have the option. You can write the front end with normal DOM and uh, hacking it JavaScript. Or you could actually just access the DOM from your f code and break that off into a separate Ooh. UI layer. And so That's you can cool. write <clears throat> all of it. Yeah, right there. That's pretty cool. And the neat thing is we also have this for C sharp. I just had to. I like that. All right. (laughs) Okay, now I got your attention. Now now we're
0: talking. Now we're talking.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so there's been quite a few attempts actually at um, (laughs) doing uh, JavaScript. Didn't you write one of these at one point? Yeah, yeah. So shameless self-promotion here. So I have one called netjs. If you go to my GitHub, GitHub slash Preclarum slash netjs.
0: The show notes?
1: Yeah, and in it, if you can follow my instructions, um, <laughs> then what you get is that same little compiler. Except it's it's not just C sharp. It'll take any .NET assembly, so you Ooh. could have written an MVb even. And it'll take that.NET assembly and output JavaScript code for this. Uh years ago, for an April Fool's joke, I released a web version of Kelka that I developed using this. So I just took Calca's engine and used this little compiler that I wrote and had it output JavaScript. And it worked? It worked. It <laughs> took a lot of work, but it worked. <laughs> and Can you it's... still access that site? You can. I don't give it out because someday I will monetize it. Can we do a monetization episode again? I really don't know how to monetize websites. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm a mobile app developer. I really, I love the web, but I don't know how to make a living off of the web.
0: You're gonna need like subscriptions. You're gonna need like yeah. a I don't stuff, know. stuff, stuff. Exactly. You're gonna need stuff. Exactly. <laughs>
1: So exactly. I just want to say my library, I love my library because it tries to generate um, a good readable JavaScript code. It even actually goes through an intermer- intermediary step of going through TypeScript. So it actually generates TypeScript code. So if you have your front end or something else already written in TypeScript, this is great for you. And then from that, it can generate the JavaScript. So it does it in those two steps. Nice. However, mine has tons of limitations, so I'd also recommend, if this sounds awesome to you <laughs> and my limitations are getting in your way, there's this awesome library called JSIL, J-S-I-L. And this is the full-blown, this one has very few limitations. Its code is a little more verbose than what mine generates, but this has this thing's a rock. You can oh, throw cool. any code at it, and it just works. J- JSIL. I like that.
0: I like that because sometimes my limitation to actually trying to build something for the web is that I need to go figure out JavaScript, do this whole thing in JavaScript. Like, essentially, I'm just writing some methods and, you know, doing some things. It shouldn't be so complicated.
1: No. And JavaScript's a fine language for doing, like, just the UI layer. But the moment you start doing complex things, you really want refactoring and you want a compiler. And you want it to run on multiple platforms. You don't want to repeat logic in a million different places. So... Yeah. You can be, you can make fun of people for wanting one language to rule them all, but there are a lot of benefits <laughs> to that scenario. Yeah.
0: I like it. Was there anything else? I, was there was anything else in the blog post just to think that you're like, Hey, you know, like, I think people should go learn the, the SDKs and APIs and, you know, figure, you know, d- d- here's my tip. Here's my twit for my tip for <laughs> 2017. All right. Don't, don't just update everything just cause there's an update. Just because <laughs> Apple tells you there's a new version of Xcode and Xamarin tells you there's a new version of Xamarin. Don't be so excited to go download everything. Like, let me do that because that's what part of my job is to <laughs> read go read my blog. <laughs> um, but, you know, I learned this when I worked at Seton a long time ago is that I am I am shipping this application. I am. My company is relying on me building and shipping updates to this application and and updating new versions, randoms of Xcode, doing all this stuff. You know, it gets very complicated really fast. If, if your machine configuration is working, don't, don't break it just yet. Set up a different machine or something <laughs> like that. Don't get so excited. That's like my tip. My tip for 20 seconds. <laughs> it's going to be my tip for 2018, 2019. Like, stop updating yourself so fast. Like, we get it. But set up people.
1: Slow it down back. a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, set up a VM or something like that. Um, and then uh, that's probably my tip is that. And... I think that we're all using a lot more libraries than ever. I think uh, in 2016, it showed that open source is extremely strong. I think that, you know, a lot of my blog posts was about like new libraries and plugins and components and all these things are open source. And um, it's a little bit different than how it was before, right? Because when things were closed source and you're just downloading a, a, a component or, or something like that, you don't, there's no GitHub repository around it. Like how do I interact with the developer, right? How do I interact with these companies? Uh, and often you're interacting with them on GitHub or on Twitter. And, and you know, for me, I'm still learning. It's a learning, learning process for me of how do I write a bug report? How do I give the correct information back to the developers? But you know, we all need to be kind of kind out there i would say i know i need to do a better job but um it's it's sometimes very frustrating and and, and even for me when i'm trying to write a bug report, i'm like oh what do i even know what do i need to do so as library as library creators we can on github we can create like a template that people can fill out which is really good and then as consumers that are reporting bugs like you know give us a sample give us some stuff i know i'm probably you know just spouting the same information that we've done on a, <laughs> a, a past episode. But that's probably my tip because I think we're moving so much into that open source where things are done in the open. Um, and we, we want to get that feedback. So I think that I've learned uh, even trying to contribute to Xamarin. Like I did my first commit to mono.android, so the Xamarin oh, Android yeah, stack.
1: Congratulations.
0: Thank you. I have my first public commit into the private and public commit into an official Xamarin Android product, and uh, that was a learning process. I like downloading the source code, getting it working, following the, the, the coding standards, following, you know, figuring out this, getting that done, fitting the PR process, and they're all a little bit different. So those are my tips, that's all I got.
1: So the tips are slow down, don't have to update on the day, wait for James to do it and laugh at him. <laughs> yes, <correct. laughs> And I guess the other one I'll summarize is, uh, we're all using open source more, we're all relying on it more, so. Uh, there's got to be professional decor uh, uh professional behavior, and as library officers, we can definitely make it easier on people by telling them how to behave.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and behaving ourselves. You know, we want yeah. we want people to commit, and we want people to do PRs. We want people to do this. And we have to have a way of not being mean when they're not doing it the exact same way that we want them to do it, you know what I mean? So.
1: Why do you keep changing the white space? Please, for the love of God, stop changing the white space.
0: Tip, tip number three, when you go to commit code, <laughs> I do this myself, this is just, I do my own sanity check look at the diff, like look at the, like you can see if the spaces are that and I always (laughs) use spaces instead of tabs. So I have spaces replacing tabs and Xamarin Studio is different than Visual Studio. Of course. Um, I I believe not in a default install, but I believe um, if you've upgraded from versions past, Mm. I believe that that is it. So I don't even
1: wanna mention a word otherwise our only feedback will be tabs versus spaces. So we'll just leave it there, Uh, just call it white space.
0: (laughs) yeah the white spaces yeah i think i've standardized on spaces i don't know what i do anymore i don't I'll know whatever
1: oh the mob will be a coming Tabs.
0: okay dingus <laughs> what do i use on the tabs i right, go for it
1: all right anything you want to you want to no i think that's a good now? good way to ring in oh, advice for the year don't start yeah. holy wars <laughs> yeah,
0: t- t- yeah don't don't do that is that is that the name of the episode spaces or tabs um no that's, that would be a terrible episode no, that's, that's anyways you can tell us what you're using spaces or tabs uh, by tweeting at us at MergeConflictFM. Oh, you can don't. definitely leave us a review on the iTunes store. We would love that. We would love you forever. Um, you can check out us on Twitter, on Facebook. You can, you guys can figure it out. You guys are smart cookies. Um, well, that's been this, mer- this week's Merge Conflict. Uh, I can't thank uh, Raygun uh, enough for sponsoring again. Uh, Merge Conflict. And until next week, I'm James Montemagno
1: and I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening.